Hey everyone, this is Flippin' Finance. I'm Sam Ismore and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Good morning. Today is March 21st, 2023. And today we are covering infinite banking, also known as being your own bank. With that, kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer or Fileo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purposes only. And things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. With that, Fabian, how are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, not bad. Not bad. Had a good, nice, relaxing weekend. Didn't do too much. I'm excited for springtime so I can do some more outdoor running get some biking in, start preparing for triathlon season. So yeah, how are you? Good. One day it'll be warm again, but until then, I'll just cry inside you with know, my seasonal depression. But running outside in the cold just makes you a harder person, and I love it. I'm okay without being hard. <laughs> I'm just, you know, fair weather. Totally fine. True form's harder anyways. True. To so. that. But over the weekend... While we were crying inside, some other people were crying inside because a banking crisis is continuing. I don't really like the word crisis, but it's an interesting time to be a bank. And with that, you brought the question of what the heck is being your own bank about? Is that right? Yes. And and so I've got a neighbor that kind of gave this idea to me a while ago and then had lunch with a friend uh, recently. Shout out to Daniel, who is a listener and brought some ideas and brought this topic back up on the table. And I was like, you know what? Let me let me send this over to Sam and see what he thinks. Um, okay. Because it, it sounds much to his point was it just sounds kind of sketchy, you know, okay. and no shade on my, my neighbor. But anytime somebody starts speaking in definitive terms, like using the words like never, always, like guaranteed, like little alarm bells start going off in my head. And I'm like, okay. We we need further explanation here. So, sure. Yeah, let's let's dive into it. What I, I've heard about it, did a little bit of research, but what what's the deal with it? Have you heard of it before? Do your clients ever bring it up to you? Some clients have brought it up to me. And what happened to me is I think I saw it somewhere in social media. So, all these forums have like really catchy marketing around it and you know infinite banking being your own bank it's pretty much just fantastic marketing for whole life insurance is effectively what it is so taking a step back what's whole life insurance it's also known as permanent insurance there is a ton of different insurance products out there for for life insurance the the easiest one to get is term life so it has a term period so you can get life insurance for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, however long, and you pay a set amount of premium. It's usually pretty low. You can, a, a healthy person like me, my insurance policy for roughly a million dollars is like, it's like $400 a year. So I'm healthy, uh, thankfully. So my insurance policies are really low. But at the end of that term, which is 30 years, 
I lose that life insurance coverage. So I've paid all these premiums in and hopefully <laughs> you never have to use your life insurance policy because if you do, uh, you're not the one using it. <laughs> and before we go any further, can you just just quickly describe, I know this is like very basic, but life insurance. So what is the purpose of people getting life insurance? I know this is probably a no-brainer, but just to no, it's great. holes. Yeah, so life insurance, in my view, is to replace the human capital if you pass and to help with expenses that you would have been around to to cover. So the way, the quick and dirty way to do it is you, if you have kids, you want to support them through 18, maybe through 22, and you would estimate that costs X amount of dollars a year, and you get that life insurance coverage. That's a really easy way to do it. Also, there is to replace your earnings. So if you are saving $50,000 a year, or you want to be saving $100,000 a year, you would put that on top of your life insurance. So in my head, I'm like, okay, how much do I need to support the kids? Or how much do I need to support my spouse? Or replace, how much money do I want to replace if I, if I pass? In my mind, that's the, that's the point of life insurance. And th- there's a ton of other insurances up there, but it's pretty much to, to cover you in case something happens. Gotcha. And do they cap it at like, you, you re- like for term, you really can't go further than like past 30 years, right? I haven't seen too many more than 30 years. I'm sure it's out there, but what will happen is the premiums will just be a lot higher. Yeah. And is the thought that at 30 years, like your children will be grown up and have their own jobs and support themselves. So, well, so like, let's just take my example being um, roughly 30 by the time I'm 60, hopefully I've saved up enough money to where I don't need to replace my income anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's like at 60, you don't really maybe you don't need life insurance. And if you do, you just like go and buy another policy and layer, right. layer it on top. But your premiums are, we're going to get into why whole life is, is, a, is a good kind of substitute of that. Because if I was to go buy a life insurance policy at 50, my premium is going to be a lot higher because I'm more likely to pass. The life insurance companies know this. They're going to increase my premiums. Got it. Okay. So that was mm-hmm. term. Well, kind of life insurance as a whole term obviously mm-hmm. has a set term. You're paying premiums if you live long enough to see the term and you don't get any of that back, right? Yeah, exactly. It was just a cost. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. It's kind of, it was kind of like your 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 home insurance. You hope you never have to use it. It's just a cost along the way. Right. Okay. So now talk about whole life or permanent life insurance. Yeah, whole, whole life or permanent. So I, I like the phrasing of permanent insurance. So the premiums are going to be higher. And what they do is they combine an investment with an insurance. So I don't always love combining the two. They're kind of like uh, oil and vinegar in a way. They don't, they don't really mix well. But the premiums are higher. And what the life insurance company does is you still have the term life component. So you have a death benefit, but you also have a cash value benefit. So you, you're paying for the term policy and anything above that goes into your cash value parts. So that's like a little portfolio uh, in your in your insurance policy. And that can grow over time. So if that's the benefit of having a whole life is you pay in these premiums up front that are usually uh, a lot larger than term, but then you have a continued death benefit for your entire life. So there is no term, it's permanent insurance. And you have this little portfolio inside your insurance that um, the benefit is it can grow tax-free which is uh, while we'll talk about being your whole bank, 
but it's growing on there. And then the dividends of the portfolio can pay your premiums and things like that. So effectively, you have this, this insurance policy, I think until 110. They, it stops at a certain point, but there is effectively no term to your whole life policy. Well, they're going to have to start changing that because people are going to be living longer than 110 years. I think they started to do that. They started to up it, but then the premiums have changed and everything. It's pretty much just a math equation. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, like, why? Like, why is this becoming like the new marketing craze? Like, why are more people finding out about it? How many people do you think are doing it? Like, how did they? How did this get into the zeitgeist? Is it new? So the whole life policies, I don't think are, are new at all. In fact, I, I think they have a warranted bad rap because of how they are sold. They're just heavily marketed. I think everyone has unfortunately had that person or friend that's worked at, I don't want to say the company, but let's just say. You can say it, we'll keep it out. (laughs) It's just, maybe it's, you can figure it out. And they're just pushed really aggressively. So the payouts for a whole life policy to the insurance agent are extremely high. So they are highly incentivized to get this product into 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 people uh, in any way possible. And my criticism of a whole life policy is you don't really get financial advice around that based on the experience. Now I think I'm I probably see the really worst whole life policies because people come to me and like I'm I'm stuck in this policy. What can I do? And I'm like I don't know. Go be mad at your insurance agent. They're probably not around. But the pros, so that's how it kind of started. I think is like whole life policies have gotten a bad rap, rightfully so. And they needed kind of like a different marketing way to do it. And like being your own bank, it, it sounds great. And when used properly, whole life, whole life insurances, insurance is fantastic. So you have permanent death benefit forever. Your, your term doesn't really go away. You have this benefit forever. So you can actually pull and take money out of that cash value via a loan. So you can take money out at a loan and you're technically paying yourself interest because you're paying interest back into the cash value and it's still growing over time. So this is like a really good function of it. If you were to take money out via a loan, you're paying it back into the policy that you own. And it's also growing at the same time with that little portfolio inside. So that's like it sounds really fantastic. Oh, I'm going to pay myself interest and it's still growing over time. That's kind of like the big benefit to whole life insurance once you get your policy up and running over five to 10 years of paying premiums in. Got it. And you, you mentioned something that I want to go back to in this scenario. You said the guy came up to you or the, the person came up to you and said, hey, I'm stuck in this whole life policy. So when you say stuck, do you, are, are you saying that like once you get in, like you really can't get out? And is that difference between whole and term? Yes. So so term, you can just cancel if you want. You're like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want this term anymore. Whole life, in my experience, this is not always the case. There are some really good insurance agents out there. I tend to see the worst of it because of where I sit in the in the wealth management space. But I think they're kind of the Hotel California of insurance policies. So what ends up happening is you have to pay really high premiums into these whole life policies for them to make sense for you to grow the cash value of that policy and to kind of get it up and running. You have to pay, depends on your situation, 20, 50, 
80 grand into these whole life policies. And then the money's like just stuck in there. You can take the loans out, but you, you don't have a lot of flexibility of what to do. So if you come in, you're like, my situation's changed. I have different goals and objectives now. You still have to keep paying these premiums for that kind of set period. Because if you don't, then the insurance policy goes poof. And you you kind of, what ends up happening is that cash value is now ordinary income back to you. And so, so you get taxed on it? Tax at ordinary income rates, Oof. which is the worst. You want to always avoid that. You want capital gains rates. So there's kind of two versions of this. It's like one, you could kind of set your money in a brokerage account and have it grow that way. And some people think a whole life policy is great because it does grow tax-free over here. But if for every reason you wanted to get out of the policy, you have to take that or you have to take that cash value. And when it comes out to you, it is a huge lump sum of ordinary income, which is painful. And is that cash value, does that cash value, is that like a set amount? Like you're putting it in there for a set amount and then that grows? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it, it depends on the, all. there's so many different policies out there, but but generally you commit to putting in 20 grand a year or something like that into the policy for five or 10 years. And then you, you stop, you don't have to do any more after that. And the kind of the cash value supports itself in there. But that's the criticism big one of mine is like if you ever have like a change of your plan if you ever need to um go a different route you're kind of stuck with this policy and that doesn't even get into the things that i loathe about the policy so my background yeah (laughs) yeah i really loathe it's just the costs are extremely high when you're doing these so the cost of insurance is high so term life is really low it's the lowest it's the best um insurance out there from a cost perspective but when you do these whole life policies that insurance agent gets a really big hit you're you're the first couple years you're not really getting any growth out of your assets because you're effectively paying the agent's commission wow in there yeah and it's not really disclosed transparently and then on top of that my huge bugaboo is the investments that the cash value go into have really high fees as well that are not always disclosed and I've seen where there are caps on your return. So it'll be like, oh, you'll always earn a 3% return on the S&P 500, but we're going to cap you at a 10% return. That way, you know, you never really lose money. And like when the market goes up, you're, you're, you're making money too, up to 10%. But the market is kind of like a toddler. It's like highs and lows, highs and lows. So there's never really been like just an 8% return on the market. Mm. It's either 20%, are negative 10, 25, or it's zero. So like you, when you cap your investments, you miss out on a ton of the upside that invariably happens. So like 20 and 21, you, you missed out on all of that. Yeah. And can you, do you have any authority, you as the person purchasing the whole life policy in what gets invested? Or did they make- You do. You do. Yeah. You, you have some agency on what you invest in. And this is where- it, it's just some policies are better than the other. Some some insurance companies have more options, but you have to pick from their menu of of investments. And they have a slew of them. There's some that are really good. And I've seen some where their investment platforms are just highly fee laden because they can do it. Because you once you're in the policy, you're kind of captured by their investment uh, options. So like you see a lot of like 1% mutual fund fees and things like that on like, a large cap fund when so like a 1% fee on a large cap fund is extremely high 
when you can go buy an S&P 500 ETF for 0.03%. Oof. Yeah. So. That is pretty high. So what, what else do you love about it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, to me, the way it's couched is it, I think these could be fine for people, for some people in a situation, but how it's couched is like, you want to put as much possible money in this. So you end up getting a lack of diversification in it as well. So like, you made a great point at the beginning of this is people talking in, in, um, what was the word you said? Um, like definite terms. Yeah. And definite terms were like always hundred percent. It's going to be amazing. You're, you're right for your antennas to go up because you, the whole part point of this podcast is like, there's, there's trade-offs in what you're doing. There's never 100% right situation for somebody. And when someone's speaking in those terms, you're right to pause because you shouldn't do 100% a whole life policy to be your own bank. It sounds great, but there are some major trade-offs that I don't think are thought through during the sales process. Yeah, and one of the things, so I told you I was watching some videos and what really scared me was like two different videos. I think one dude was from a completely different country, but they were using the same animation. So they were both drawing it out. So they were both using mm -hmm. the same animations in the exact same language, like literally verbatim. Everything was the same to a T. I was like, yeah. hmm, that seems like some LuLaRue for, <laughs> for life insurance. Yeah. And, you know, and what I I'm going to have to Google it later. But <laughs> I, what I think has happened is pretty much just a marketing consultant has gone around like, hey, here's a great way to sell your whole life policy. People are on to these not being the best, but if you frame it in this way, it makes a lot of sense. And they, they all use the same type of language and, you know, they'll convince you that like a 401k is a scam, which I saw one of those. I was just like, oh my God. Like, I, and, and it's different. So like, I I don't understand how these people can go on there and say this like legally from a regulatory standpoint, I, but you see it all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, people say a lot of things, Sam. That's true. Um, so I heard that rich people use this. So in one video in particular, they said that the Rothschilds kind of used infinite banking or being their own bank to kind of accumulate their wealth. So is this something that the uber rich are, are doing to, to make more money? And this is what I love is couching is like, well, rich people are doing it. You should be doing this too. And, and I, I, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. But that it is true. This is what some rich families have done. But the big part is they have not done it to the way that these people are describing it. So when you are um, extremely well off, let's say you're worth $50 million, $100 million, let's say Jeff Bezos type wealth, you can take $50 million and put it into a whole life policy and it not be a big deal. You know, so rich people can siphon off some of their money and put it into these policies and it's totally fine for them to use it. And the reason why they use it is because of that death benefit. Mm -hmm. So they have different problems. They have 0.01% problems where they have to pay estate tax. So estate taxes, if you own assets above roughly $26 million, anything above that, you have to pay a really high tax rate if you pass away. So, you know, smallest violin, but it's an it's an issue that you you want to avoid. So people like that use whole life policies to help them pay for the estate taxes so they continue growing wealth over time. So it's there's another way to do it too. Like what Jeff Bezos does is 
he has his billions of dollars of Amazon stock. He doesn't sell it. He takes a margin loan against it. So this is like another way uh, that rich people do things. And the bank gives him like this really low rate because they're doing a bunch of other stuff for him. And he can borrow against his stock. So it's like another thing. And so he's not um, using his own money. He's borrowing money and then going to buy a mega yacht worth $500 million with the line mm -hmm. of credit. That's what you're saying? Yeah. So it's just the rules start changing once you get to like Rothschild level of wealth, Bezos start uh, level of wealth. You're able to, you know, putting 5% of your wealth into a whole life policy or whatever the amount is, is very different than me putting 75% of my money to do this whole being my own bank thing. It's very different, you know? And like once, once you're doing that at a different level, you have different means and uses of that insurance to help you with different problems along right. the way. So it, it kind of sounds like, yes, this does work. This isn't necessarily a scam. You should be somewhat skeptical and ask questions, but this is almost something where you're kind of selling the dream of like the 1% being able to do things with it, that the 99% of the rest of the people, you're kind of you know struggling to get the benefit from it potentially. That's kind of what it yeah. sounds like. Does that make sense? I think that's that's a fantastic way to put it. And the big things I would ask like any insurance agent or anyone telling me about infinite banking, I would just say, how many people have you helped that have gotten through this and now are 20 years into this and are being their own bank? Because uh, they're going to be like, ah, you know, none. <laughs> and, and if so, I would like to see the exact illustration. I was like, go and redact it. But I want to see exactly what they did, what the costs were. And I want to see what their situation was like for this to make sense. And, you know, oh, there's NDAs. No, they, they could probably share it if they want to. But um, I would want to know specifically how and why that made sense, how often this has happened, how many of them. And we didn't even get into this. You have to manage all the different parts of that loan of being your own bank. It's not an easy thing to do. And I want to know how, what's your experience with doing this? How often do you do it? Will you be around in 30 years to help me manage this? I mean, th those are simple follow-up questions that I've seen insurance agents just like fall apart in. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Um, and and mm -hmm. so you you mentioned one more thing before we get off of this topic. Um, so most people, you can't start you you don't get the benefit of it right away. So I can't like open up this whole life policy and just like next week start taking out lines of credit and borrowing against it and paying myself Correct. back. No. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So like the you, the big thing you need to do is build up the cash value of the whole life policy, which which doesn't really happen over the first couple of years. Now, in 10 to 15 years, it really does. It builds over time. But if you need that money in like five to seven years, it's not it's usually not as much as the projections show because yeah. you have to there's a lot of upfront costs in this policy. And they'll explain that they should a good agent will explain that to you. But it's not like you put 50 grand in it and you have 50 grand to pull right away, mm. in my experience. But could you do that? Could you put in right off the bat 50 to 100 grand and be like, boom, I want to start using this bad boy? Probably not because <laughs> you have to pay the, the cost of insurance. So your cash value is going to be a lot lower than what you put in originally. Yeah. Interesting. And it grows over time, but like the first couple of years, no. Okay. Okay. All right. I think that was good. That was a thorough explanation. Yeah. So I would just wade with caution. Yeah.
Watch some videos. I think you you'll be uh, you'll be pleasantly surprised on what you find in terms of just like okay, a lot of the marketing's good. Are, yeah. Um, speaking of good. marketing, without the ing, uh, the market. What's the, what's the market doing? That was a good. That was a good segue. Yeah. So we're kind of building on from the Silicon Valley Bank fiasco. So once again, Silicon Valley Bank was a concentrated depositor base of a bunch of startups. They got a ton of deposits in. They went and bought long-term bonds. Interest rates rose. When interest rates rise, bonds that you own decrease in value in the short term. All their depositors had to take money out because they were burning cash running their startups. And a classic run on the bank happened as they sold some of their bonds at a loss. And this like snowball effect of them losing a little bit of capital, which is normally fine, but their depositors taking out 40% of their money in one day just facilitated this this bank failure. So we've had three bank failures so far. We've had um, Silicon Valley Bank has been the, the biggest one. There was Signature Bank and there was Silvergate. So Signature Bank and Silvergate were crypto banks with a very similar deposit base. But Silicon Valley Bank was the 16th biggest bank at the time. So that's like the big news that's reverberated uh, across the market. And we talked about the analogy of banks being kind of like in a classroom. So now everyone's kind of looking around where Silicon Valley Bank was just like got taken out of the classroom for being too sick, throwing up type of thing. And you're just sitting there like, oh man, who else is sick? And now they're looking at First Republic Bank is under a lot of pressure. So they have a totally different business model. They they don't have the concentrated depositor base. They've kind of just gotten mixed up in this. And other banks are stepping up and giving uh, First Republic capital to meet all their redemptions. So the big thing they want to do is stem contagion risk. They don't, you, you want banking to be boring. You don't want people worrying about like, are my deposits safe? Because you turn into the 1930s Great Depression bank runs. Doesn't work. I know everyone hates banks, but you need them to facilitate economic growth. And this is the main reason why the Federal Reserve was created. So Mac Daddy, Jay Powell, our boy, he is stepping up and he's trying to uh, support all the banks, whether this is right or wrong. They're trying to stop any contagion crisis within the banking system now. So First Republic is holding on right now as uh, we're recording this. They're getting a lot of support from uh, JP Morgan, interestingly enough. So uh, we'll see what, what happens from there. But it'll, it'll be definitely an interesting time to see what happens in banking. And banking should not be interesting. <laughs> and it is. Yeah, that's dangerous. Um, yeah. I thought I read something or maybe skimmed something or heard something. Did FD, are they raising the amount of FDIC insurance kind of across the board? They're, they're exploring that. So I believe this gets into like the muddy waters of like whose actual authority it is. I believe it's Congress's authority to set FDIC insurance. So they actually increased it to 250, 250,000 during the 2008 uh, Great Financial Crisis. And the U.S. Treasury is exploring increasing it to unlimited, I read. I thought I read which, like 200 million, which hearing you say unlimited, I'm like, okay, maybe I'm not that crazy. But I mean, 200 million is pretty much unlimited. <laughs> um, that's definitely 0.01% yeah. problems. Um, and, and to caveat, there are some extremely easy things for banks to do to increase the FDIC insurance without having these laws. So like to me, you don't really need this law. You just need like common sense cash management and 
people who aren't idiots with their yeah. money. Yeah, I mean, but it makes sense, right? You right, you you make a really public spectacle of the amount that it's going to get raised to maybe to to reinstill faith in the banking system to kind of people like you and I who are maybe running to the bank to get all their money out. Yeah, I'm not running to the bank. I'm way under 250. So, <laughs> I guess it's just me then. Sorry. This is look, look, David. I think you need a little bit better management of your hundred million dollars. Is what I'm hearing. As long as they can protect so, my two hundred million, we're good. Yeah, yeah. What is um my favorite tweet is Drake goes the first million is the hardest, and there is a famous. Uh, he's passed away now. There's his name was T T Bone Pickens. Was a famous wildcatter, and he goes. He like quote tweets him and goes, "No, the first billion's the hardest." That's <laughs> <laughs> like my, I still remember that one. So just just remember that the the next two hundred billion is the hardest, Fabian. Damn, so yeah. true, so true. <laughs> With that, that's probably a good place to wrap it. Um, feel uh, subscribe, share, rate the podcast, and like you heard today, if you got questions, and there, there are no bad questions, there's just maybe some more interesting questions like infinite banking we're happy to do a podcast on them we're always looking for we'll make a we'll make an episode for one person because that's how you create fans so yep shout out uh, to daniel thanks dan thanks for listening we're out bye